Welcome to the Rock Creek Family Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Jonathan, and thank you so much for joining us today. We know that uh, there's so many other things going on, so many other things you could be listening to right now, but you have decided to listen to what God has in store for you on this podcast. So we just pray and ask that God would bless you in this sermon Thank you again for joining us. Don't forget, you are part of the Rock Creek Family Church family. Thank you, worship team. Thank you for leading us always in a beautiful moment of worship. Um, so appreciate them very, very much. It's a labor of love, I know. So, If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of John chapter 12. The book of John chapter 12. And I think Eli left that without turning our lights on. So, <laughs> Yeah, if you would, thanks. Just that light switch right there by the door. So get ready for your pupils to get shocked. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll wake me up a little, right? Go ahead. There you go. Good deal. That's right. Hallelujah. That's right. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, John chapter 12. We're going to go into his word today. Um, Powerful word. I have, I have, I have loved getting more and more into His Word lately. I, I really have. I, I've always been a student of His Word, but I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's, maybe it's looking for the glorious appearing. I don't know, but I have just wanted to get more and more and more into His Word. Um, uh, how many of you have ever done that? That read the whole Bible in one year. Bible plan. If you've ever done that, it, it's a really neat Bible plan. Um, some of you who didn't raise your hand, you started it, but you never finished it. I've been there. <laughs> uh, in fact, I was there last year. This year, I was like, okay, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it for real. And we got going in it, and about a month ago, um, God laid it on my heart to do it twofold. So that I'm not only doing it once, I'm doing it twice. So I'm trying to, trying to just, it's not for glory unto anybody other than him. I just know this, okay? This is the only reason why I'm doing it. It's not to, to say that I can look good in front of you. It's because there is so much garbage out there working overtime to pour into me. That I have to have, I have to have more of him in me, so that when the garbage comes, there's no room for it to be in me. I have no room left in me because God, I want to be completely saturating me and filling me up because I'm hungry for that. Um, you, you, you just, you don't climb a mountain by accident. You don't just get to the top of a mountain and go, oh, I didn't even know I got here. You know. You, you, you have to set a purpose in your heart to do so. And I hope you've set a purpose in your heart this morning and this year and this season of your life and this time to say, God, I don't just want more of you and I don't want to just raise my hand saying I do. I know that's my heart, but God is also saying, does your hand and your heart line up? Faith without works is dead. So make sure your hand and your heart are lining up. That's what Christ meant about the, the, anyone put, putting their hand to the plow and turning back is not fit for the kingdom. He's not trying to curse anybody who happens to look back. What he is saying is, is that if you're going to have a purpose, then do a purpose. And when you have a purpose and you do a purpose and those things line up, then whenever you get through plowing, a harvest will be ready for you. Get ready for it. Amen? John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We're going to start reading at verse 20. We're going to read through verse 28. Thank you, Brother Easton. All right, so here we go. Verse 20 says, Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. 
But Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. For if anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, my Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, I'm just going to read the first part of this one. Father, glorify your name. We'll, we'll get into the second part of that verse in just a minute. But right now, just stop right there. Glorify your name. Any of you ever wrestled with the Lord? Okay, there's like five of you. The rest of you are playing it cool this morning. Okay. Any of you ever just wrestled with him? Um, this was a wrestling match. Whenever God dropped this in my heart, um, it was a setup because he first showed me the verse 26. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. And if anyone serves me, then my father will honor him. And I got excited about that verse. I really did. I was like, I, 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 I danced a holy jig. I really did. I, I, I didn't care what I looked like, man. I got excited about that because um, this was a scripture that God just dropped in my heart in the middle of the night, quite literally. We just kind of wake up and like, boom, there it is. Didn't even know what it, what it was going to say. God just said, hey, go read this passage of scripture at three o'clock in the morning. So I did and. Woo, at 3 o'clock in the morning, if you had, could have just seen a video of that at 3 o'clock in the morning. That little praise fest I had, just me and the Lord. And probably my dog that was scratching at the door to get out and see what in the world I was doing. But we had a little praise fest about this, and a little glory fest about this, and a little thankfulness about this, and a little, woo, I'm glad to see that God has not forgotten about this. A little praise about this. And then, then after I praised and worshipped for a little bit, I said, that was so good, I'm going to read the rest of it in context. That was so good, I'm just going to go up and I'm going to read this whole chapter. And then when I started to read the whole chapter, and I come to this place where it says, he who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And then that one was like, oh, wait a minute. That one wasn't as exciting. That one wasn't as exciting as the first verse that I got all excited about. Because this is a verse that's not very popular today. This is a verse where our flesh cringes just a little bit when I say, if you really want to have a resurrected life in you and through you and with you and about you and around you, then you must first be willing to have a crucified life. Because there's no such thing as a resurrection without a crucifixion. And that's not exciting. That's messy. But aren't you glad God knows how to get messy? He knows how to handle our messy. He knows how to deal with our messy. That's why when Jesus bent down at the table to wash their feet, he was willing to say, I see you messy, and I'm willing to help clean you up a little. So we're going to go into this passage of Scripture. And this is what I wrestled with. I was like, God, I, this, this, is, this, is not a, this is not a real uplifting passage of Scripture for me to get up here and tell everybody they, they have to kind of let their flesh go. Right? And this is what... God dealt with me about. He said, I served you before you ever served me. So everything that you are anxious about in doing in service to me, I've already done for you. I've already done it 
in you and with you before you ever realized it. Judas, I washed your feet before you walked out of here. I've already done it. So just remain in me. Remain in me. Because there are seven, seven things that Jesus serves his disciples in the next few days. Seven things. Seven ways in which he serves his father and he serves his, his disciples. Seven ways he, he serves us. And each of those ways is leading us unto a glorious way of living. Okay? I said all that to say, let's pray. Father, Lord, you have a mouthful for, for me to say today. There's so much here in your word, in your text. So much here that I know that you're just wanting to squeeze out of this text every drop. And I pray that you do so. I pray that you do so. Pray that we come to you with open ears and open understanding, open hearts. I pray, Lord, that we be willing to hear what you would have to say. I pray, Lord God, that as you've served us, let us serve you as we are attentive to what you want done in this service. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This passage of Scripture comes right after the triumphal entry and I, I realize we've we've talked about that in this this season of our year in the the, the, the season of Easter and the, the Palm Sunday and Easter and, and all of communion and all of that that season of things that we made ourselves busy religiously doing um, and, and I realize we've talked about that but let me let me just step back so that I can get ready to step forward and in stepping back, even though we've talked about it, we realize that Jesus knows that he is on his way to do something that nobody else understands exactly what he's doing, right? And as he is going that way, the people, mind you, mostly because Lazarus has just been resurrected, Lazarus just walked out of the grave, and as Lazarus walked out of the grave, he kind of became a hip scene of the power of Jesus. Everybody started following Lazarus saying, Woo, look at this is the guy that was dead. Now he's back. And now he's writing a book that says heaven is for real. And this is really cool. And this is a fad. And this is, this is great. And what was it like? And, and uh, you know, how did you feel? And what, 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 did you really go toward the light? And so all they're asking all of this stuff. And Lazarus is continuing to give Jesus all of the glory and the Bible says because of Lazarus doing that, many began to believe that Jesus was who Jesus said that he was. And that is why we had the crowd that was singing praises and laying down palm fronds and laying down their coats and laying down their, garment, their outer garments so that Jesus could ride the sanctified donkey on the road, on the way into Jerusalem to, to, to set up what God was going to do through him. And the praise, and whenever he's going through the, the praises and the glory and the shouts and the, oh, Hosanna to the King, as he's going through there, he's not going through there glad for the voices. He's going through there glad that he is getting set up to do the will of God. That's his purpose. The voices come, that's great. If the voices don't, Rocks, trees, are y'all ready? If the voices come, wonderful. But if the voices don't, I have the tide and the waves of the ocean that will give me an applause until I tell them to stop. If the voices come, that's wonderful. But if they don't, if you were to see the stars and sky, realize that the light you see actually has a sound and the sound gives praises that we don't even hear. Amen. <laughs> right. So what I'm trying to say is, is that Jesus knows he's going forward in the will of God and he kind of gives it up to them to say, hey, are you coming with me? And this is where we get set up and it kind of at first looks like Jesus leaves them hanging, but he doesn't really leave them hanging so much as it is an invitation. 
after Jesus has this triumphal entry moment, after he wrestles with the Sadducees and the Pharisees a little bit, not going back through all of that, but after he goes through all of that, then the Bible says he's, he's got his face turned toward Jerusalem. He's heading toward the cross. He knows he's going that direction. He's about to be poured out like, like, like a drink offering on God's altar. And as he's headed that way, he knows he can't be stopped. That's what's going on. And so when some Greeks show up and say, hey, we want to see Jesus. We want to talk to him. We have some questions for him. We want to we we get close to him real quick. It looks as though he did not let them get close to him, but that's not the case at all. In fact, he said, I'm going that way. Are you going to follow me? Because where I go, my servant must follow that's a fancy way of saying, listen, Greeks, and these are most likely Hellenistic Jews. They are Jews that maybe generations before was raised in Jerusalem, raised in the Jewish faith, raised in Judaism, raised in that way of worship, but yet they're living in the Greek world according to the Greek systems, according to the Greek laws, according to the Greek ways of doing life, according to the Greek cultures. So really, the Greeks showing up is a representative of those people that feel trapped between the two. Right? Those that have a desire and a longing inside of them to worship the way that I know God has told me to worship and, and yet I'm still living in a process and a culture of life that is not always conducive to that. That I, I, I have this oneness of worship in me for the Lord my God is one and I should worship Him as such. I know I have this calling to do so, but man do I live in a pagan world. Man do I live in a pantheistic world. Man do I live in a world of spiritual polygamy that is constantly trying to get more and more and more out of me in every area. Has anybody here ever felt that way? You're like, man, I want to worship in spirit and in truth, but whoo, i got a lot of stuff pulling on me this direction and that direction. My God, sometimes we have to cast out the spirit of distraction. I was in my prayer time the other day. It was Tuesday morning in my prayer time. And as I was in my prayer time, and man, I was just, just starting to get with it, and I forgot to turn my phone to airplane mode. I forgot to turn the notifications off and silence it all, and I just totally forgot about it. Guess what happened? The bad part was is when I heard the distraction... I didn't just go, oh, there's a distraction. I went, oh, who is that? And I got about three quarters of the way there, and I went, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> my bad. And just about the time I said, my bad, guess what happened? Yeah. And just about the time that I took a step back and laughed at myself, guess what happened? And just about the time I said, God, I'm sorry, guess what happened? I'm not lying, there was like 25 text messages came in in the span of five minutes. All in that moment that I said, God, I'm going to give it all to you. Don't you just love this world of technology that we live in? I say that not to convict you, I say that because there is a reality to, reality to us that are living in two different worlds. Well, spiritually we know what we want to go to and what we want to do and where we want to head and what we're looking for but physically whew, sometimes it pulls us apart and so in this moment where the Greeks step in and say hey we're Greeks but we know better Jesus is saying then come on come on follow me Come follow me. Come serve me. Serve, let's come, come, serve, come be a servant so that I can take you where only I can take you. This 
also happened to happen in a way where there's another invitation where the people, the disciples of God, are coming into the midst of this. Where it is through Philip and Andrew, where they didn't just 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 approach Jesus any old way. They knew that there was something more to him, so they reached and, and, and reached who they could reach. And at that time, it was Philip. And Philip could have just went on in and said, Hey, Jesus, you've got this going on. But Philip went and got Andrew. Now, I don't know exactly why he got Andrew. I don't know if maybe he was afraid of the Greeks. I don't know if he didn't know exactly what to do. But I do know this. He went and got Andrew. The meaning behind that is simply this. Anytime in Scripture it comes to you serving the Lord, it never tells you to do that in solitude. Ever. Now, I realize there's a, there's a personal relationship we have to have. I get that. But anytime you read all of the New Testament about the way the, 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 way the church is working and moving and going and being and doing, it's never done in solitude. Ever. Even in times when the Apostle Paul was in solitude in prison. He says, hey, y'all come visit me when you can. And when you do, bring my books. Bring my, bring my coat. Bring my stuff. Bring me a Mountain Dew Zero. Whatever, just bring me something that's going to bring me some comfort. Tell Timothy I'd like to see him again. Tell Mark, we had it out a couple of years ago, but now I want to see him and talk to him. It's never done in solitude. And the enemy a lot of times will try to get you in solitude to get you to give up. Because if he can get you in solitude, you'll start to be overwhelmed. And you'll feel overwhelmed and you'll say, God, I can't do this. And then you'll back out. And the progress that you made, you'll lose the momentum. You'll lose accountability. You'll lose responsibility. You'll lose service. You'll lose encouragement. You'll lose that quickly. So quickly. So when Jesus says, come on and serve, he's not saying you need to do that by yourself. In fact, you were never called to do it by yourself. Ever. Ever. You're not an island all unto yourself. Although sometimes it feels nice to get away from some people for a change. No husbands and no wives look at each other right now. I know sometimes, I know, I know how you feel sometimes, like that comedian that was, I was watching him, the Christian comedian the other night, and he, he said, he, said uh, he, and, he and his wife got in a little spat, and that little spat turned into the silent treatment. Not one amen in the house. <laughs> and that little silent treatment turned into a day of silence, and two days of silence, and three days of silence, and Finally, after the third day of silence, the wife went up to the husband and said, um, I, I, I need to talk to you about something. He said, yeah, sure. What, what is it? What's going on? Um, I guess you notice that I haven't said anything to you for three days. And he turned to her and he said, oh, honey. And I appreciate that so much. <laughs> Three days of silence turned into a week and a half more of silence and a sleeping trip on the couch. The point is, is that even though it, the temptation to get completely by yourself for a long time sometimes is not good. And don't fall into that temptation. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need you. Ah, there's something, there's a part that just, oh, my flesh doesn't want to say it because I'm me big. Right? Me hard. Mm. Me got this all figured out. I got this. Yeah. To quote the to quote the great theologian Tim Allen. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> right? Um, but the bottom line is, is I need all of you. I need all of you. I'm so thankful for you. I appreciate you. And I know that that's God's way of doing things. You don't have to do this by yourself. Amen? So as they do that, Jesus then steps in and says, it's time. It's time for me to fulfill God's purpose. It's time for me to invite you into that purpose. It's time for me to serve you in the biggest way that I've ever served you. I've served you in three ways, or three years, three and a half years, but now I'm about to serve you in the biggest way that I've ever served you before. And I'm going this direction. And then when he says, 
follow me, what he's saying is, is this, this is where I'm going. And for the next few days, there are seven ways that I'm going to serve you. From this point on, I'm going to serve you seven ways. In fact, just a few verses after this is the last public address he makes. Now, he talks to his disciples, but this is the last public address that he makes. As one last invitation to say, I'm going that way. You have to choose, are you going to follow me or are you going to follow the world? And we must say, though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. So where is he going? Where is he going? Well, first place he serves them is the table. He serves them at the table. Number one of seven. He serves them at the table. How many of you love Psalm 23? We, we all follow, we, we, all, we all reach for that at our time in which we need the most comfort. And it's usually when someone passes away, right? That, that's like the one we say all the time whenever we are in a funeral situation or one of our loved ones. The preacher likes to use that one, and he likes to use that one. Why? Because it says, when I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? Right? And it goes on to say, though I'm in that presence of the enemies, he'll do what? Prepare a table before me. We need that comfort because we need to know when the world has done its worst, Jesus can step in and do his best. We need that comfort because we are torn between the world and the spirit world. We need to know. So Jesus says in this table moment that I'm loving you, now you love each other, right? You remember that? Jesus bends down and he washes their feet and he serves them in the, at, at a table moment, at a time in which they don't really get everything that's going on. Jesus, fully understanding the weight of everything goes on, says, I will serve you even though you don't completely get it. I'm still serving you. Welcome to the ministry. Serving others even though they don't completely get it. Right? Serving your family even though they don't completely get it. Serving the world even though they don't completely get it. And yet Jesus says, I'm serving you. Even though you don't completely understand, you know, Peter who says, Oh, don't just wash my feet. Wash all of me. And Jesus is like, Peter, you say too much. Peter, you need to listen more than you talk. And they pull the whole kindergarten rhetoric out and say, God gave you two ears and one mouth. Which means what? Y'all have all heard the same thing. Someone has told you this at some point in time, right? Jesus. Jesus serves them at the table to let them know that part of His service to them is fellowship. And I will not, and he will not even let uncleanliness keep you from the fellowship. Now that does not that does not say it's an excuse to sin. That is not what we mean. It's not what he means, it's not what he says. But what he is saying is, is that every time you come to me, I'll clean you. I'll wash you. I'll take care of you. Every time you come to me, I know. Hey, here's a newsflash for somebody. He knows you can't clean yourself. He knows that. So what do, you, what do you do? You just remain with Him and let Him do that work. Let Him serve you. Jesus knows these seven ways He serves, the, serves God by serving His people sets His people up to see the glory of God move in their life. That's why He said what He said at the end of what I read you. It's my time to be glorified. It's here. Number one, He served them at the table to give them a promise of fellowship no matter what. Number two, 
He serves them in the garden. He serves them at a time of prayer and intercession. At a time when they're too tired and a time when they're too hungover from the meal. At a time when they're too tired and wore out and weak and the day is far spent. At a time in which their flesh remains weak. Jesus pours His flesh out. He pours His blood out through His flesh as if to say, I will help you fight your flesh. I'll serve you in that. I'll intercede for you in that. I don't have time to go into all of the things he prayed about when he was in the garden, but he went to the garden to serve. He went to the place where the first sin hit earth. He went to the garden. He went to the the, the spot where the biggest failure was so that he could bring the biggest obedience, victory through the biggest obedience. He steps into the garden to serve us with obedience and intercession. So that in all those times and places and ways that I am not perfect in my obedience or strength in my flesh, He steps in as a mediator and says, I got you. I got you. I pour it out for you. I got you. Number one, he serves the table. Number two, he serves in the garden. Number three, he serves in the trial. He knows that by all rights, I should be on the auction block. By all rights, I should be the one on trial. By all rights, my sin keeps me distance from God. By all rights, I shouldn't be here. And how many of you are glad that God gives you something you don't deserve? Right? we got to be very careful playing the deserve game, right? Because God has given me more than I could ever deserve. And we need to be glad for that. And like Peter, who's standing there warming himself by the fire in the courtyard, looking through the window, Watching his Savior be slapped and spit on. Blindfolded and punched. Watching the one that had absolutely no sin be treated like the biggest sinner. While he is outside the biggest sinner. Letting Jesus treat him like he is not a sinner at all. It's a place where Jesus serves us. He serves us by by taking on our judgment. In fact, the scripture goes deeper than that and says that he didn't just put on our judgment. He became our judgment. He became our sin. He that knew no sin became our sin. So that what was crucified on the cross was our sin and not us. And he began by serving us in this trial where he stands before the priest to be told he's guilty. That's significant because it took the priest. It it was the priest's job to identify the lamb that was to be slain. So Jesus stands there as the lamb to be slain so that we don't have to. He takes on and serves us through the trial. The next place, number four, he serves us is at the post. And I realize, I realize that's heavy. That's a heavy message. How many of you have seen Jesus at the post? That was probably the worst part for me when I first watched The Passion of the Christ. It was the It was the post where his hands were bound and his face was down and his back was exposed and his flesh was torn. It was a place of separation where the Romans were experts at separating flesh from bone. And that was the place he served me. To say that He and He alone can help us 
get separated from our flesh. He served us. He served us at the post by taking on 39 stripes. He served us at the post of allowing the flesh to get pushed just far enough that he almost bled out, but not so far he couldn't still carry his cross. It's the post. That when he was there, not saying a word, he was there because I say too much. He served us at the post so that my flesh will not get the best of me. The next place he serves us is number five, the cross. He served us at his cross. That's why he looks out with blood running out of his body and breath not coming in. And one of the few words he says as he looks out on the world and says, Father, forgive them. I know what I'm doing more than they do. And I don't take arrogance to this moment. I take humility and graciousness and mercy so that I can serve their arrogance. I'm crucifying some flesh today. And so I ask God to forgive me for all the times that I was arrogant. And I thought I knew better than he knew how I should live my life. And right now we have a huge argument going on, huge fight going on in the kingdom of God between this church and that church and this church and that church all over stuff of the flesh. All about stuff of the flesh. That's what it's all about. Someone asked me, can I still live this lifestyle? Can I still live this lifestyle and be a Christian? And I had but one question for them in front of about 200 other people. I said, here's my one question for you. In your lifestyle, are you choosing to honor God with everything in it? Or are you arrogantly saying, this is my lifestyle, God, I bend you to my will? If you can answer that, then you'll have your answer. It's not about what flesh wants. Because my flesh is arrogant. My flesh is arrogant. And Jesus served me in my arrogance. By allowing himself to be hung on a cross. Number six, he served me in the grave. He served me in the grave. Someone, someone I once asked, where did he go? Where did he go for those three days? When it was prophesied like the Jonah in the belly of the whale, where did he go? And he went to serve all of those who died outside of the mercy of God to give them what they needed the most. When they couldn't get it, he reached them. He served them. How many of you, how many of you have been reached by God when you couldn't reach him? He didn't have to serve that. He did not have to serve that. He didn't have to serve you, but He chose to. Why? So that He could take you to glory. We're going to get there in just a second. I'm running out of time, but He served you in the grave. He served all of us who couldn't reach Him. Last but not least, he served us and still serves us 
at the throne. That's what really the resurrection is about. The resurrection is not a place, it's an event. And the event leads to a place, and that place is the throne of God. That's why Paul could say, though I was the worst of sinners, yet by the glory of the Holy Spirit living in me, He is telling me and beckoning me and inviting me to approach the throne of grace boldly. Boldly, not because of my arrogance. Boldly, not because of my strength. Boldly, not because of my flesh. Boldly, not because of my ways, but boldly because I come His way. Boldly because Jesus, before He went that way, said, follow me. And where my servants are, there I am. There I am, there my servants are. I'm going somewhere. I'm going to glory. And He's inviting you to it. He's inviting you to it. I've got two things and I'm wrapped up. If you've ever read 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and I've been, I've been just, just meditating on that one for the last probably week, week and a half. Where it blows my mind, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where Apostle Paul is telling his church about, I talked a little bit about it Wednesday night, but he says, he said, man, he said, did you know that when Moses went up on the mountain and got to see the glory of God and the fire of God? How many of you remember reading that Exodus chapter 32, 33, where he goes up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, and then he comes down and he's mad. He throws the Ten Commandments down. He goes back up and he receives ten more. And as, after he receives those ten more, he, then he asks. It's like he, he sets the law down for a second, and then he looks up at his God and he says, now show me your glory. I see your law, but I want to see your glory. Where is all of this going? Because Moses knows that is weak. And Moses says, show me your face. Show me your glory. And God says, nah, that's not really what can happen. But I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock and my glory will pass before you. And I'll let you get a glimpse of where all this is going. Some say prophetically he actually got to see a Christophany, an image of Christ coming to do what Christ came to do. And in that he said that his face shone so brightly that when he came down the mountain, everybody was like, oh no, you're too bright. Put on the mask. I mean, the veil. And Paul says to his church, he says, he says, that was glorious. But what Christ has done through his cross and through the Holy Spirit is even more glorious. And I just meditate on that because I don't even know. I can't even grasp all of that right now. To think that there's more glory in the Holy Spirit working in you right now than there was in the moment where where Moses got to see the, the glory of God, the power of God. There's that much glory. And then, he went, then about the moment where the enemy slips up and says, yeah, but you don't deserve that. Because you're no Moses. And he's right. I am no Moses. Number one, I'm not... Moses was, what, 120 years old? And he's climbing up and down the mountain like they ain't nothing. He's in way better shape than I'm in. That brother's got to be stacked. His calves got to be cut. Carrying stones and tablets up and down. No, thank you. Give me a camel, something. Not only that, but Moses had more patience than I had. I'd have wiped some of them suckers out. I'd have said, God, you want a list? He's right, I'm no Moses. But I have a mediator. And I feel like Job. Job chapter 9, I'm wrapping with this completely. This is my last point. I want to read it to you. Actually, I have the New Living Translation. Just because for me, it kind of helps put it in words that will help you maybe grasp it a little bit better. Job chapter 9, verses 32 through 35. Job is wrestling. Everybody knows the story of Job. And he's in the middle of hearing all of his good buddies tell him how bad of a sinner he is. And, that, and I don't even have time to go into that. 
And in the middle of all of that, Job is just pleading his case. And he comes to the point where he says, Say what you want, do what you want, I got nothing. I've got nothing. And he says this, Job 9, 32. For God is not a mortal like me. So I cannot argue with him or take him to trial. If only there was a mediator between us. Someone who could bring us together. A mediator could make God stop bringing punishment on me. And I would no longer live in the terror of this punishment. So then I could speak to him without fear. But I cannot do this in my own strength. But we have a Savior that did. That served us with all of his strength. So here's my question. Are you going to follow? Are you going to follow? Brother Matt, if you'll come. Tickle the guitar strings. As we just reflect for a moment. On all the ways that he served us. And realize that he said, I served you. I, I went that way to invite you to go that way. Why? And here's the exciting part. Remember I told you there was an exciting part of that verse that I pray, praised God about? So that he could honor us. He says, my servants will get a chance to sit, sit in my honor. That He has for you something far greater than what you could ever imagine. And here we are holding on to our flesh like it is everything. And we don't realize that when we sow in our flesh and we sow in all we are, that what is resurrected is more than what we are. And more than we could ever be on our own. see in Genesis God always made for instance the water and then he put the fish in the water right he made the fields and the grass and then he put the cows in the fields with the grass he made the trees and then he put the monkeys in the trees right did you notice he made the garden and then he put created man and put him in the garden so if you take the fish out of the water what happens fish fry take the grass or you take the cow away from the grass and put him in the desert what happens you take man and you take him out of the presence of fellowship of God in the garden what do you have? And he came in to say, I want to put you back where you belong. I want to serve you. I want to make a way. Let's all stand. Every eye closed right now. If you've never fully allowed your flesh to be crucified, I just want you right now to say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. Take all of me. Take all of me. you to hear the Holy Spirit say to you that He wants to serve you and He wants you to follow Him. So if you're not following Jesus, if you're following your way and just hoping that Jesus is somehow mixed into it, if you're not following Jesus, then you're not following the way, the truth, and the life. Now is your time to say, Lord, I'll follow you. I'll follow you. I'll follow you.
I'll follow you. I'll follow you. I'll follow you. I'll follow you. And, and, and Jesus is saying, now is the time. Today is the day for you to put your hand where your heart is. And for those of you that have said, yeah, I, I, I sort of serve Him. Now it's time for you to put your hand to the plow and not look back. And serve Him fully and completely and wholeheartedly. And do whatever it is He's asking you to do. Get off the fence. Let the water not be lukewarm. It's time to move forward. Father, I pray over everyone in this room today that if there's someone in this room that is just not really giving you their whole heart, they're just trying to give you the best parts of it but holding some of it back for themselves, then Lord, I ask God that you would convict them. Through the presence of the Holy Spirit, I ask that you would draw them. Bring them to a place where they lay that down so that you can pick them up and bring them into a place of honor and glory and resurrection power. Father, if there's anyone in this room today that is struggling with that, I pray that you help them today, right now, in this moment. Just as you take just another minute to just, between you and God, lay that down. If you need prayer, here it is. Between you and God, lay that down. Just you and Him. Thank you so much for listening to the Rock Creek Family Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Jonathan again, and we are so thankful and grateful for you to be here and join us. We ask that you would make sure that you subscribe so that you can catch other podcasts as they come out. Also, if you would rate it and comment, let us know how God has blessed you through this podcast. We love you. We thank you. Have a blessed day.